0: Hey Pioneers, welcome to episode number 266. Today, I'm gonna to be sharing with you the organic and natural ways that I use to keep pests at bay in the garden. This year, we have been plagued with slugs. Now, living in the Pacific Northwest, I am not new to slugs, let me tell you, But we have been exceedingly cool and exceedingly rainy even by our standards, and the slugs have just been out in full force, worse I think worse slugs and snails. Worse than any other year that I can remember in my 20 plus years of gardening. And it's not just me. I've talked to many of my neighbors and fellow friends and gardeners in the Pacific Northwest. And all of us are kind of experiencing the same thing. So that's one of the things I get asked about the most is how do you deal with the slugs? So there's a couple of different methods that I use and a new method that's worked quite well for me, too. And I use them all together, like in conjunction. So you will know if you have slugs or snails because oftentimes you will see their little slime trail. That's one of your big indications. You'll also start to see holes. Um, Slugs, especially for me, love my brassicas. So they really liked my broccoli. They really liked my cauliflower um, in my lettuce. So some of those leafy things like that. And they would also go through the snails and right as my beans were sprouting and not so, not most of my squash, but some of my beans, the snails more so than the slugs would go and eat the tops off of them, which meant I had to replant because they ate the whole top. And there's just like this little stem where It first started to grow and no leaves. So it won't grow anymore. So if you experience any of those signs or visually, you'll see the slugs, especially if you have Pacific Northwest size slugs, apparently I did not realize until I shared on one of my YouTube videos and my garden tour and how I was killing slugs um, from all of the comments that apparently my slugs are like mammoth size, huge compared to the rest of the countries. I don't know if I've ever had as many comments um, on the size of slugs before as I did in that video. And that's just normal size for us. So it's really interesting to see how different parts of the country, you know, affect the, the growth and the different pests. But back to slugs. So of course, I only use organic natural methods because it's on the food that I'm eating. I don't want stuff in my soil. And so salt will kill slugs. Yes, but I'm not going to be sprinkling salt all over my soil because I do intercropping. So I typically have onions planted in between my broccoli and cauliflower plants. And then after that broccoli and cauliflower get pulled up, I will be planting in its place either carrots or beets or something in the root family um, for that same season to do some succession planting and get another crop in. So I cannot sprinkle salt. I could never sprinkle enough salt to keep up with the slugs that would not affect the salinity and ruin my soil over time. So sprinkling salt on the ground or on my plants where our rain is going to wash it into the soil and or kill the plants. It's just simply not an option for me. So I don't use salt um, on my garden plants or in my soil. One of the options that's like surefire is I go out in the early morning or once it starts to rain, but especially early in the morning and you can wear gloves. I will be honest. I don't know. Maybe I'm a hardcore homesteader or a gardener, but I just use my hands. I wash them afterwards for goodness sakes. I had a lot of comments on that too. YouTubers are full of comments. Very interesting. However, I just pick the slugs off and put them in a cup of soapy water or a little bucket. And you have to have soap because slugs won't drown in just water. You have to have some dish soap in there, just a couple squirts of dish soap um, for, to kill them, or they'll just crawl right back out. Just trust me on this one. And I have no problem killing slugs. I only kill the slugs that are in the garden and are on my plants and in the vegetable garden. I don't go through the rest of our property and kill them. We don't have ducks. Um, ducks will eat slugs. Chickens, my chickens have never really cared about the slugs. They don't eat the slugs. I have had slugs in the coop. They don't eat slugs, but ducks will, but I don't have any ducks. Um, if you're more interested in in learning more about ducks, you want to go back and listen to episode number 264. If you didn't on geese and ducks, but I also got comments on, apparently I'm just talking about all the comments I got on YouTube. I got a lot of, I got some comments I should say about killing slugs. I don't relocate them. They will breed. I do not need more slugs. We do not have a problem with not having enough slugs population here in the Pacific Northwest. And we depend this year, probably more than any other year. I know a lot of you are feeling that way. I depend on my crops. We depend on what we grow and slugs will decimate a crop. So I have no problem killing the slugs that are in my garden and on my plants because relocating them outside the garden, they're just going to come back in the next day and they're going to breed. So I just felt the need to share that with you and get a little bit on a soapbox on that. I kill my slugs They're in my vegetable garden and handpicking them is one of the surefire ways to do that. I'm putting them in some soapy water, but I've tried a couple other methods. Now, when we're not getting rain, I will use Dimectus earth. So food grade Dimectus earth eggshells, by the way, do not work. They do not kill slugs. They are not sharp enough. They butt out don't work. But food grade Domectis earth does work provided it doesn't get wet. So I can only use it when it's not raining and we don't have super heavy dews. And I will actually sprinkle it on top of the heads of the cauliflower and the broccoli and then around the base of the plant. And that will keep the slugs off of them as well. But like I said, as soon as it rains or if it's during prolonged periods of rain, it, I can't use it. It won't work. So that's where my handpicking comes in. But the other thing, now I've not tried the copper tape. Several people said, try the copper tape. I have not tried that yet because I just don't have copper and I haven't ordered any. But the other thing that works very well <laughs> is cheap beer. Well, Probably expensive beer too, but I would not use expensive beer because I'm cheap and frugal. And so buy the cheapest beer that you can find. And I, you need a shallow dish. So a frisbee, upside down frisbee, works really, really well. And you pour the beer in there and it just needs to be shallow. And the slugs crawl in there and they die and they're attracted to the beer and it kills them and it works very well. The only thing is you got to keep replacing it with fresh beer and emptying it out, you know, every day or two. So there's that factor. So between the beer traps and the dimectis earth and hand picking, I have gotten lovely huge heads of cauliflower and broccoli and kept them out of my lettuce. So that's really the only things that have worked absolutely for sure for me for keeping slugs and snails off of completely decimating and eating all of the vegetable garden. Now, a lot of times people will ask about aphids. So, I like to use companion planting to draw in good predatory insects and or to repel insects that would normally be destructive to my crops. So aphids are one. Aphids usually won't completely kill a plant. If it's a small just start, they can or they can damage it. But like fruit trees and berry bushes and stuff like that, aphids don't usually kill them, but they can stress them out. So ladybugs obviously will eat aphids, but you have to have an environment. You can go and you can purchase ladybugs online. You can get them from garden center stores. But if you just let them loose in a garden that doesn't have plants that ladybugs are attracted to, they're not gonna stay around and they're not gonna eat your aphids. So ladybugs love dill and carrot tops. I always find ladybugs in my dill and in my carrots. So plant plenty of those and you will begin to attract ladybugs who then eat the aphids. If you don't have any of those plants in yet, one of, the, or if you see aphids and they're really attacking a plant, is a little. You can spray them off with a really strong spray of the hose. It's going to knock them off. Yes, they could then crawl back up or fly back up. Uh, but that's one option. Um, you can use a little bit of. You could sprinkle with some food grade DE if it's dry out. That can be harder to do on frilly frondlier type plants, though. If the aphids are really attacking them or smaller plants. So another option that you could do for the aphids is you can do a organic homemade pest spray. So in my book, The Family Garden Plan, I have a recipe and you're basically infusing water with raw garlic and onions and peppers, things that they don't like, and then you strain it out and you spray the plant with that. And so it's smelly and it's stinky and it repels them. So that's one option. Now we used to be plagued with, cabbage moths, which means you have a little lovely green worms all over your broccoli and your cabbage and anything in that family, which, you know, you can soak them in salt water, but it really does grow some people out when they soaked it. And then they see all these little green worms crawling out or dying or floating in the water when you bring it in the house. And so that really kind of grosses people out. And if the worms um, go too far, then you'll have lots of holes and they will eat through it. So we used to really be plagued with cabbage moss to the point where I took some years off. I didn't even grow cabbage and I didn't grow broccoli. They seemed to really be attracted to those crops. Well, that was back in the day before I started using companion planting. And so I started using orange nasturtium. Now in the research that I did when I was writing the family garden plan and that included a, oh, there's a chart and a whole section in that in that book on companion planting. All of the scientific studies and research that I could find was specifically on orange nasturtium. Now, nasturtiums comes in lots of lovely different colors. So I plant orange nasturtium specifically. And since I've been doing that, I'll plant an orange nasturtium in between about every two plants. So the orange nasturtium, two Brussels sprouts, orange nasturtium, you get the picture. Since I have started doing that, I just harvested all of uh, the last of our broccoli from a spring crop and cauliflower. You guys, not one, not one cabbage worm from the cabbage moth. So if you see the little white moths during the day or little like look like little white butterflies floating around your garden, those are cabbage moths. So beware. But it's been really incredible. And so that's all I do. I haven't had to treat for cabbage moths. It's been awesome since I started using the companion planting. Now, some people have mixed results. I mean, companion planting in this instance for me has been amazing. So I would say try it. And plus the orange nasturtiums are beautiful and they're edible. You can eat the flowers and you can eat the leaves. And then when they go to seed, the seeds, um, I have a member of the Pioneering Today Academy. She turned them and called them poor man's capers, but ended up pickling them and turning them into like a homemade caper. So an edible food crop that's also beautiful and acts as a companion plant. So that's the orange astertium is like my go-to because it works pretty much for repelling most of the flying insects that tend to plague plants in the Nebraska family. So that one's definitely my go-to. Now, we don't have a ton of ants, but I've had people ask me about ants. And what's worked well for me the few times we have had like an ant invasion, it seemed like, this has been several years ago, and they haven't came back, so it's worked very well, is to use, I make a paste of borax and water and a little bit of sugar, and just make up a paste, and then... You can put it on a little dish. Some people would soak a cotton ball in it. I didn't go that far. I just put it like on a little saucer and put it out where the ants are. Now, you don't want a dog or a cat or anything like that to get into the borax. So just make sure that it's not where your dog is at. And it needs to be down where the ants can get to it. So I had like a little saucer I put it on and I used like a little tiny piece of kindling and made them a little ramp just to make sure they went right to it. And they will take it back to the nest, feed it to the nest and the queen, and then they'll die. Now, I had to do it over... Um, about every three days I would repeat it until I did not see any more ants. So sometimes if you do it once, you'll see a decline, but they won't all be gone. So just kind of keep repeating it over a couple of weeks, but I never did have them come back after that. And so it worked really great. Now, another pest that you can have is birds, birds, especially in your fruit trees and your berries. They also like to, I don't know about your birds, but ours do here, especially the crows. When your beans and your corn, for some reason, it's the beans and the corns. I haven't really noticed it on any other seeds. I don't know if it's the way they look when they first pop up, but they like to go through and pull them all out. They don't even eat them. They just pull all of the baby corn up. Drives me crazy. So one of the things that has worked really well for us to stop them from doing that is right after you plant them, we, you can use, tw- we use baling twine because we have baling twine, like amen. Farmers know baling twine is like duct tape. You can use it for any and everything. But if you don't have baling twine because you're not feeding hay, jute twine works just fine. Any type of string. But what you do is I just put it on some little posts, just like little wooden posts or stakes at the end of each row. And you take the string and you just string it atop right across the top of the row and right across the top of the little baby plants that are sprouting, about one to two inches a on top above them. And then Even though the birds could land and they could get beneath the string very easily and pull them out, it's a deterrent and they don't. And that has stopped all the birds from pulling out all of my baby starts. And then once the corn and or the beans gets about, you know, four or five, six inches tall, then the crows don't seem to bother it. So by that time, you just go ahead when they're touching like the string and you remove the string. But you guys, that has worked so incredibly well for us. And it's super easy to do. So we do that every single year. Now, the birds also like to get into my blueberries. They don't bother the raspberries, interestingly, or the blackberries, but they really get into my blueberries. So I use netting and I get asked this question a lot. And no, I've never had birds get stuck in the netting and die. And we have been using the netting for 12 years never had a problem. There was a bird in there one time, but by the time I saw it and by the time I went outside, it had already worked itself loose. It was totally fine. So no, I, I really don't deal with that. I get asked that a lot. So I use netting and I put it over the plants right, um, right when the berries are green and they haven't started to ripen yet. And I drape it over and I just use a little bit of twine and tie it at the bottom. And that works really well for us. Now the deer, the deer, the deer have not gotten into the vegetable garden. The vegetable garden is the closest to our house. We do have a fence, but it's a fence. It's only like four foot high, three foot high actually. The deer could jump it, no problem. They don't. They haven't gotten into my high tunnel, um, and they don't eat my berries, but my fruit trees. Oh, my fruit trees! They we had just planted about oh gosh, was it five or seven new fruit trees this spring, and they really love tender new leaves and branches and oh they damaged quite a few of them overnight one night broke off a few of the bottom branches the tree will be fine once it's in maturity um because those bottom branches come off after the tree's about seven years old anyways but you don't want them to just completely decimate it because they really mess with the shape and the scaffolding and if they strip it too much then the tree doesn't have any leaves throughout the rest of summer for it to feed itself So I, same thing with the deer, we have tried urine, we've tried human hair, barrier methods just seem to work the best. So I take netting again, just cheap garden netting and wrap it around the trees so that they can't actually get to the leaves. And that works the best, especially on young trees until the trees are tall enough that if they can just reach like the bottom branches, but they can't reach all of them, that, that has really seemed to work, um, the best for me. Now, neem oil is something else. Now, you got to be careful with neem oil because neem oil is organic. It's concentrate, so you dilute it. But a lot of products will say neem oil. But when you look at the ingredients, they actually have other synthetic pesticides in there that you do not want to be spraying in your garden if organic matters to you. So you need to make sure it's 100% cold pressed neem oil, no other ingredients. It is more expensive. It is harder to find. Um, In today's blog post that accompanies this episode, you can find it at melissaknorris.com forward slash 266 because this is episode number 266. I will link to the exact one that I buy and use. So, that you can grab that one because I've had a lot of people have messaged me with different brands they've bought and they're like, is this the right one? And we get to investigating the ingredient list and it's like, no, this is not. Um, it has neem oil in it, but it has a whole lot of other ingredients that you don't want on your vegetables. So, between food grade DE and neem oil, those are the two that I reach for for almost anything in the garden. Now, neem oil will also work, which is really great. On not only certain pests, so neem oil specifically will work on cabbage loppers, cabbage moths, or excuse me, cabbage loopers, I always say that wrong, cabbage moths and diamondback moths, on vine borers. But it also works on fungal things, so you can work use it for not, not every fungal disease, but it will work on some funguses and also on some bacteria. So this is more on our perennials when we're talking about fruit and berry plants. So definitely um, check check out. You need to know check out episode number. You want to check out episode number two hundred and seven on how to treat fruit trees organically and when to spray for disease. Uh, But it works really good for that. So I have to say between food grade DE, which is going to work on any type of insect that has like an exoskeleton or even if it doesn't have the exoskeleton, like, for example, the slugs, um, worms, that type of thing, because it cuts into their skin. It's these little tiny ground up shells, um, which, like I said, eggshells don't work. They're not sharp enough but the food grade Demactus earth does. And so those are like my Swiss army knives and like my go-tos that I try first whenever I'm having to do some type of organic treatment um, for insects. And like I said, the neem oil can also be used for certain diseases as well. And then I try to use companion planting to keep the insects away in the first place so then I don't even have to treat. Um, But that's the way that I handle pretty much all of the pests that have plagued us or we've dealt with currently or in the past. Now, if you want the full chart, like I said, um, in the family garden plan on page 112 and 113, there's a full chart on the organic pest and disease chart that walks you through different options, lines out the pest, and then the organic methods that work. You can find out more about the family garden plan at familygardenplan.com. Now for our verse of the week, and we are in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, mighty and impenetrable to temptation, a very present and well-proved help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains be shaken into the midst of the seas, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling and tumult, thala, I think I said that wrong, but pause and calmly think of that. All this calamity is going on, but there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the most high. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her right early at the dawn of the morning. And I realize I read more than just the first verse, but that is a great psalm. It reminds us no matter what's going on, no matter what headline we see, no matter what we're dealing with, God is there and a mighty strength and help in the midst of trouble. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that this podcast, my goal is always with the podcast, that it will help you to have a more homegrown and homemade life so that you have an increase in your health and your self-sufficiency. So until next time, blessings in mason jars.